we are live. Welcome to this week's episode of MicroConf on Air. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for 30 minutes. We cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups, bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to value and maintain healthy relationships. We don't ask for permission to start companies. We build and ship real products that sell to real customers who pay us real money. Welcome back. Thanks for for joining us this week. Uh, Hopefully I saw you last week or perhaps you saw me at MicroConf Remote, had a great time putting that together and went off pretty successfully. To be honest, throwing our second virtual event, I think we took a lot of learnings from MicroConf Remote 1.0 back last September. And the reviews are coming in quite positive about MicroConf Remote 2.0. If you head to microconfremote.com and if you didn't buy a ticket and didn't get the videos, you can head to microconfremote.com and pick up a video pack. And I think in the next few weeks, we will be releasing those. I'm excited about today's guest. We're going to be talking about building communities that enhance user satisfaction. My guest is Rosie Sherry. She's at Rosie Sherry on Twitter. She is the former community manager for Indie Hackers. She is currently building Rosie Land, which is a newsletter community and course for community man- for community builders. And she is the community lead for Orbit, which is software, it's SaaS, that their H1 is build relationships, not spreadsheets grow your community and provide ROI with Orbit, the community experience platform that puts members first. So it looks across the internet at a bunch of different community sources, and it can pull data in and show you engagement and talk about what they're up to. Today, we're going to be talking about a pretty tricky topic in my experience, building, growing communities, and keeping people happy. And with that, I'd love to welcome Rosie Sherry to the show. How's it going? Hey, Rob. Thanks. It's good. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here on the show. So I think I want to start, oh, if you're watching this live, please submit uh, questions in the MicroConf on air channel and connect and producer Xander will feed those to me. The best part of doing a live stream, of course, is that we can take questions from the audience. So I think I want to start Rosie with one, it's a question, it's around building community for SaaS companies. Cause it's one thing to think about indie hackers, which is a community. And that's the point of the entire site. It's another thing to think I'm running a SaaS app. Let's say I run an email service provider, or I run a web page builder for SaaS companies. Is there a need for me to build a community around an app like that? Is there a a reason for me to build a community of my users and my customers in that case? I would say it depends. There's good reason to, if I guess you have enough people and enough interest i guess i would also say is it depends what you want to get out of the the whole situation and what your members can get out of it and i guess if i think about like where i am right now like orbit where where at the moment they have a a discord community that they started recently um so that's like definitely a community and they're using it very much to engage with the early users and early customers and there's a lot going on there, a lot of feedback, a lot of bugs, discussions going on as well. Um, a lot of it comes down to what value can you bring to the conversation or, or to the people rather than thinking about let's start a community. I think there has to be a good reason to pull people in. 
Yeah. That, and that's what I was going to ask is, so let's say that I do decide, because I've built multiple communities now. I've built a few that are online and I've built the in-person community and now microconf, which is in-person and virtual. So I'm familiar with, there's a lot of challenges to it and there's a lot to manage, but there's a lot of pluses, a lot of pros that come along with doing it. And I think you touched on a few there is that, because if I just want feedback from users, I can ask for support. I could ask people to email, right? Give us feedback. Here's a form, here's an email. But how is getting feedback in a community setting, how is it better than just direct one-on-one connection you might do in an intercom widget or or via a response to an email? Yeah, I guess it you know depends on the situation, but I guess the, the when when things are open, when other people can see what's going on, I think it's like really useful to have that. Like people come together and they share ideas, for example, they share problems, and hopefully it can also like reduce um, support type queries as well. If if other people are seeing that others are having challenges, or it doesn't even have to be around challenges. It you know it can be around um, successes or sharing tips, I think is another good uh, one with SAS is if you can use a tool in various different ways, it's really useful to be able to see what other people are doing and how they're doing it. And to be able to encourage people to do that, I think can really feed back into the whole loop of building a SAS. And often I think features can arise from it, problems can arise from it. I know like at Orbit, they're really good at just jumping on feedback requests and bug reports and just like fixing things really quickly Um, and that builds a real sense of trust in the company in the product got it and if i'm a let's say i'm a single bootstrapped founder and i'm trying to build an app launch market it do sales have you seen anyone in that situation be able to launch and manage a community or have you been more familiar where it's a small team and there's at least someone who can maybe be half dedicated to to helping nurture and encourage and moderate that community oh off the top of my head i don't know i, I would think so i would like to think so but i've, I've definitely seen like a lot of uh, communities fail like that as well i think i think that's the challenge it's like how, when do you start and like how do you start and what tool do you use and how do you make it as as least frictional as possible or how do you make it so that there's like a motivation for people to to show up and that's I think the, the biggest challenge for any kind of community I think most people probably start it too soon and you probably want to start thinking about community when people are emailing you too much and you can't handle all the emails and at a point like that's probably when you want to start thinking about building a community around the product because then it will be easier to have that initial traction and not have the deadness of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Once you have a little bit of critical mass, because a community with five people interacting, this just looks like it's completely <laughs> dead. We have a couple questions coming in from audience members. Pablo asks, I want to build a community, but I feel there are already so many communities out there targeting the same audience. It feels saturated. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, it's definitely a problem at the moment since COVID, like communities has just exploded as communities that exist and community software is just it's just crazy i remember just like looking back a couple of years ago when i started at indie hackers it was a completely different world then sure. there's I, I think 
there's a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon of communities. And these days I look at it as just like you wouldn't build a SaaS product because you want to, you shouldn't build a community because you want to, you should do like the research, you should go out there, have conversations with people and validate whether there's an actual need for a community. And that process doesn't necessarily ha happen overnight. It takes time to, to research, it takes time to build trust and relationships. But the more you do that, the more answers and information you get to validate and give you confidence on whether or not it's the right decision. But I would also add that you can create really small communities as well. And I think that there's so much power in small communities that people don't really give enough credit for. I was going to so, chime in with that of the thought of niching down, niching or niching down a little bit. Certainly every niche possible is not saturated. And if I were to say, I'm going to start a community for aspiring entrepreneurs, it's good God, that's massive. And there's already a bazillion of them. But how do you say maybe aspiring entrepreneurs who want to put their stuff on Etsy or aspiring entrepreneurs who are into specifically using knitting, crocheting, yarn type stuff. You can tell I'm a real expert in that topic, but who want to do that and put it on Etsy, eBay, Amazon, or whatever. Like there's ways to think about that and, and targeting, let's say SaaS founders is probably too broad these days because it's, there's MicroConf, there's uh, Saster, there's wh whoever else is doing it. I think there's, you, know, you may have to start with a niche angle to, to piggyback on your point of even a small community, a, a vibrant community of a hundred people who are participating can still work. Yeah. And I've actually done that recently with Indie Woman. So I, I guess like a side project thing, but I also did it for the benefit of Indie Hackers. And I felt there was a need. And I saw like over the time that I was at Indie Hackers that like, that there should be a space separate for Indie Woman. So after a bit of nagging and people like requesting it and hosting a few kind of small scale events, we ended up creating a, a community around that. And it's, it's small, it's 150 people, but we meet up like every couple of weeks for accountability sessions. And we have a Slack, we have an email list that's on Indie Hackers. And it's great. I've, I've probably made better friendships from that in the past four months than I have actually on Indie Hackers. There's, there's definite, definite value there. And I think something like that's been going about six months. If you just like keep at it, it can grow and it can turn into other things. Yeah. And that's, I would add to the answer to Pablo's question of niching down and, and targeting same, the same group of people. The other thing I would say is build an audience first, then a community. Audience and community are not the same thing. Because if you, example, I'll give you an example of how there's a different. If I start a podcast or if I start a blog and I have 10,000 readers or 10,000 listeners, but none of them talk to or know each other, it's not a community, it's an audience. And that is exactly yeah. how MicroConf started. And that is how, frankly, MicroConf Connect started. We, I built an audience first by writing essays and then writing a book and then doing a podcast, none of those people really interacted until that moment of, hey, let's all get together online in the, what was the predecessor essentially to MicroConf Connect and, and let's get together in person in, in, at the first in-person event. Without the audience, the community would never have had the, what do you call it? It's like the critical mass. It just, there, yeah. we would have sold five tickets to an event or we would have had yeah, 20 yeah. people in some dead forums, to your point. There's another question. Yeah. It's about the decision to use Discord. What went into the decision of using Discord pros and cons? I'm actually really curious to hear this because 
I don't use Discord. And my son does, he's 14. And so I'm thinking about signing up for an account and, and starting to use it, but I haven't heard many. It's a, it started as a gamer, uh, a tool in the gaming space. And I haven't heard many B2B apps use it as a community. And so I'm curious, I'm really curious to hear your thought process there. Yeah, so it wasn't my decision. I'm very new to Discord, very similar to you as well yeah. with Discord. I, un until I was on a couple of Discords, but I, I never really, Discord communities, but I never really checked them because I only use Discord to chat to my teenage sons. So, you know, very similar situation. I've been forced over with, with Orbit, but yeah, it's growing on me, I have to say. I think it's got more community focused features. It's got a lot more flexibility. It's, it's got things like moderation. It's got like the, the drop-in voice channel, which is interesting. And we're actually going to soon uh, start a podcast on Discord. We'll record it separately, probably. But, you know, the idea of using Discord as a way to engage the community and have people come in and ask questions. And we can do that on Discord, but record it like separately with Zencaster or something like that. Um, so we have plans to do that. And yeah, generally, it's just, I think it has a lot more flexibility, but I didn't set it up. So I'm still like learning all the, the quirks from it. But so far, I'm enjoying it. There's a blog post they actually wrote about it. I can link to it afterwards. They wrote about the whole, they were in Slack before and they migrated to Discord. What are there any cons and any negatives that you've experienced with it? Uh, I think that for me at the moment, the only con is just like getting used to it but, yeah, and threading curve. is a bit weird. Yeah. It's a learning curve and threads are a bit weird. I still love Slack. I'll be honest. I still love Slack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just that, that mindset change of, of switching over. Yeah. But, I'd yeah, imagine in B2B a, context, everyone I know uses Slack and they all know how to use it and they all have it on their phone. I say all 99% of the founders I know have it. And I don't know what, just because I don't use Discord, I don't want to paint the broad brush of like none of the founders use it because I know that some of them do. In fact, Justin Jackson just chimed in and said, Discord is the only way I can chat with my 15 year old. And that's probably going to be true for me within 12 months. But I would guess that a lot fewer, you know, B2B SaaS founders have ever used it, have an account, but just a little bit of friction, right? When I see a Slack group, I think, I think oh, I already have seven Slack logins or 10 Slack logins to different channels it's not if i want to be part of it it's not such a big deal but discord would be would be perhaps a, a bit of, like you said a learning curve maybe a little barrier spencer chimed in he said discord is great it's definitely expanding out of the gamer niche yeah absolutely it are it has been for years i think it's still if you go to the home page it still looks pretty pretty gamery uh, he says i'm in various communities for developers on discord which i could totally see there's huge overlap with yeah. developers and, yeah. and gamers so that's really interesting so then i want to obviously if you're still in or if you're in microconf connect please do ask questions but i want to ask it, when you're moderating or you're participating in these communities i think of two functions of someone running a community like this one is moderation it's to keep people on track on topic not arguing in the right channel for the right for the right conversation, threading in Slack. There's all these things that producer Xander and, and Tracy help with moderation in microconf. There's that bucket of it, moderation. And then the second bucket I think is, is getting people to engage. It's 
in microconf, it might be the Friday fun question, or it's just a question like, hey, what are you working on this week? Or I, I see that as different perhaps than moderation. Do you hold a similar mental model? Am I, mi am I missing pieces? Yeah, those would be the two main buckets. I guess maybe the, the, the other angle would be a bit more leadership kind of stuff is like setting the tone for where the community is heading and what, mm -hmm. what you want out of it. But that could come into the engagement side as well. Sure. And yeah. How do you do that? How do you set the tone? You personally, you've obviously done this at, at multiple companies now. How do you think about yeah. setting the tone? Yeah, it's tough. I think the tone has to be very much aligned with where you want to see the company heading. So I guess like my three three experiences I've had is like Ministry of Testing, Indie Hackers, and, and now Orbit. And they all have uh, their, their own quirks, their own goals, their own missions that they want to head towards. When I was doing Ministry of Testing, I was very much focused on change in the testing industry so everything i did i wanted it to be aligned with that to help me like every day nudge me towards that goal somehow and, and that resulted in trying to be fun but trying to focus on new things trends and <laughs> trying to as much as possible ditch all the old school kind of stuff so i did my best not to bring up topics that were, were corporate and old school and that naturally drove everything I did, not just in the forum, but like the conferences we organized. I wanted to ensure that all the topics were relevant and that kind of stuff. And I guess the same with Indie Hackers. Indie Hackers was all about trying to create more Indie Hackers and help educate Indie Hackers. Uh, and that's, it's evolved, like, I guess, over the couple of years that I was there, but it's very much focused on how can we share stories that Indie Hackers, uh, of Indie Hackers, doing indie hacking and trying mm -hmm. to get to the root of it and I guess sharing trends and news alongside of that was very much yeah. a, a goal. That makes yeah. sense. And something that, that obviously doesn't come up all the time, but certainly from time to time is that is the, the problem user. Maybe they're a troll or maybe they're just a negative person or maybe they just don't uh, necessarily interact with others in the way that, that we would deem respectful and such. When I don't mean one-off arguments, because I'll see conversations get heated and I'll know two of the participants and be like, these are people that are not normally like this. And let's assume that if it's a one-off, that's not what we're talking about. But how have you dealt with folks who come in and just feel like they're trying to stir up trouble? on a regular basis, how do you deal with them? Because it's not always black and white, right? That's the problem, is if they just come in and start spouting really yeah. hateful stuff, you just ban them. But there's often these folks are pretty skilled at walking this tightrope line such that you know you can't just ban them outright, but they're saying maybe negative things a lot. What's been your experience uh, dealing with those types of folks? Yeah, in interesting. I've had a few uh, interesting experiences. Overall, mm -hmm. I haven't had I haven't like had too many bad experiences. I know that like when I took on the role at Indie Hackers, I was worried about those kind of things, but actually yeah. we rarely have those issues. And the yep. types of problems we get are like a more like pure spam kind of stuff that you, know, right. you can just delete. But there's definitely people over time that it just take up so much energy in the room. And, yeah. and I think sometimes you just have to, I personally, my preference now is just to cut ties early. It's so much less stressful for people for the team especially and i've seen situations where people try to like go through like 
the process of one band, two bands, three bands, and you're out and kind of stuff. And it's just, it's, it's tedious, it's stressful, and it's just not my style. And the longer these people hang around, the longer it impacts your community. So really, yeah, you makes want it to like, toxic, right? get them out. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's the thing is like, that, there's not, it's not employment law where like they can come <laughs> back, they could, but they're not going to. I don't want to say not. It's unlikely they're going to come back and sue you for wrongful termination. They wrongfully blocked my account. It's if someone's a jerk, your end user license agreement, your terms of service probably says you can do this and they have no repercussion. And I agree with the one, two, three bands. It can drag out for weeks and not only take your and your team's energy, but drag the community down as well. There's there's a term that I came across recently that that and it's called, we don't do that here. So Hmm. I try to use that. As, as as much as possible and it's, it's saying you're, you're welcome to do what you like just don't do it here go somewhere else and do it right yeah we're not telling you how to live your life but that's just not how we live here or right. how we behave yeah. and there's a other analogy perhaps of thinking of it like your own home it's like this is your home that you're inviting mm-hmm. people into and it's not right that people come in to your home and, and do what they like we have another so, question from the audience saying, are you worried about what's going on with Facebook and section 230? Could it kill the small online communities? Are you familiar with what's going on there? I'm familiar, but I've, I've lost track. <laughs> I have to sheer dislike yeah, for, for rules and regulations. Yeah, and, I do too. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I won't comment on that one because I'm, I don't feel like I'm uh, well-versed on that. And I know we face this with my, within MicroConf, and I can imagine if I was running a SaaS community or a community of my users, if I was a SaaS app, you're going to have users who are at the early stages. They're just getting onboarded. They don't really know much about what they're doing yet, and they have questions and they have needs. And then there's going to be folks who are veteran users, and there's people in between. And so with MicroConf, you might think of it as like the starter audience versus the growth audience and then the people in between. How can you cater in a community to both or all of those kind of segments, different people, different expectations at different learning stages, different knowledge stages? Yeah, it's tough. It's definitely one of the challenges we had at Indie Hackers. It's like um, people would come in and they would hang around for a while. And then once they felt confident enough, uh, it was really hard to keep them engaged and keep them coming back. I used to like to think of the podcast as something that would keep back, keep the more experienced people coming back. And I think that's probably what it's more about. It's like when people first join, they're, they're new, they're excited, they're keen to learn. But then as people rise up in the community, become more experienced, you have to create different experiences for them and, and cater to, to what they need. So it could be like speaking gigs or podcast invites, creating something together. And that's tough, I think, as a community, because that's, that takes a lot of effort. It's, it's more effort than, in my opinion, running a forum. It becomes a lot of content production, and that's not, not easy to keep that, that flywheel flowing. Right. Yeah, that's, I don't usually think, I think one of the things people, when they evaluate communities or think about starting a community, it's, I don't think it's on the radar of, I'm going to start a community and I'm going to moderate it and nurture it. And I'm going to create a bunch of content. Like those two things are separate, separate in most people's minds, but I can imagine that at scale that becomes, becomes more of an issue probably. 
Definitely becomes quarter. Yeah. Yeah. What types, as we wrap up, because I think we have, yeah, we just have one or two minutes left. Is there, when you, as you're building up this Orbit community, what's your mental model of how do I engage people and get them to engage? Because that's often, even if I had 50 people in a community or 100 people, if they're not engaging, then that's a problem. So how can you encourage people on a regular basis to participate and give back such you're not, as the moderator, the only person who's answering all the questions, right? Or the only person who's getting people to engage. Yeah, bearing in mind that I've only been there three days, but the the general loose plan is to fo- follow the lead of what the uh, founders want. So I'm very much taking mm-hmm. their lead in, in things that they want to do at the moment. But alongside that, it's what I call is like stu- studying your people. Because mm-hmm. you want to you don't want to jump in straight away thinking you know what you're doing. Um, you want to start dipping your toes in, figuring out what, what they're talking about, and then hopefully creating like experiences or content or conversations that really relate to them. So at the moment, I'm, I'm very cautious about jumping in too quickly doing stuff, but I'm definitely looking towards pulling people in in the way that the founders want me to. Yeah, indeed. Rosie Sherry, we are at time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If folks want to keep up with you, they can head to Rosie Sherry on Twitter or rosie.land to see the community you're building, which is a newsletter community and course for community builders. Thanks again for joining me on MicroConf on Air. Thank you, Rob. All right, as we roll out, Thank you again to Rosie. I already talked about MicroConf Remote at the top. Get access to video recordings at microconfremote.com. Thank you as always to our headline partners in 2021, Hey and Stripe. Please thank them on Twitter, at HeyHey and at Stripe. And if you haven't already, head to youtube.com slash microconf and hit the subscribe button to get notified of all of our videos. I'll see you back here in two weeks. Same time, same place.